Thank you very much. Well, today, as you know, we've combined both services together, expecting a smaller crowd, meaning one of two things. One, word got out I was teaching. Or two, we got some partiers in this church. So either way, Happy New Year's to you guys. Man, there is just something about the start of a new year that like gives us a feeling of a new beginning, a fresh start, the feeling that anything is possible. Resolutions are made. We focus on what we intend to do in this next year instead of maybe what we failed to do last year. We are determined to start again, and we're going to get it right this time. We're going to kick some habits to the curb. We're going to get healthier. This is a new year and things are going to change. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is really no difference between December 31st and January 1st. There's like nothing mystical happens at midnight. It's just that we are choosing to focus on this day as the starting point to look ahead. I mean, it's biblical. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19 says, The Lord says, forget what happened before and do not think about the past. Instead, look at the new things I'm going to do. God says, hey, forget about what happened before. That's the past. It's over. Let's look ahead. You see, God's more interested in your future than he is in your past. No matter what happened in your past, no matter what happened last year, God is saying today is a brand new day. And it's a day that you can start over. Man, it is a day that you can decide to make decisions in your life. Changes in your life that's going to make you healthier. That's going to make you happier and that will draw you closer to God you can get a brand new start. Man, that sounds like a New Year's resolution worth making right there, amen? Well, I'm going to share with you today how to do it. I'm going to give you a formula for success, and it's an acrostic, and it's the word start, and I'm jumping right in. The S in start stands for stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. You see, the only way to start over, the only way to start fresh, the only way to change is to stop making excuses. you got to stop blaming others for what you're failing to do. Now, my son Ethan, when he was young, he was a firm believer that water alone was the key to a good bath. I would actually have to smell his hair to make sure that he washed it with shampoo. And one time, I was watching TV and he was in the bathtub. And he yells into me, Dad, is this one of those times you're going to smell my hair? (laughs) Another time he got out of the tub, he came into the living room, his hair looking like bacon had been rubbed in it. And I said, did you wash with shampoo? And he replied, no, you didn't come in and smell it. You see, a lot of us are good at making excuses. A lot of us are good at rationalizing things. A lot of us are good at placing the blame on others. I mean, this started way back in the Garden of Eden. 
with Adam and Eve, Genesis 3 tells the story of how after they sinned, they were hiding from God and God confronts them. And of course, good old Adam, he tried to rationalize things. He said to God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. So notice he first tried to blame God, the woman you put here with me. And then he tried to blame Eve. She gave me some fruit. See, the point is we need to stop blaming other people for what we do or for what we fail to do. We can't always play the victim card. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. He gets to start again. You see, the key... To starting over, the key to making changes in your life is to be honest and face up to your problems. Because every single one of us in here has problems. You have problems and I have problems. But the truth is, most of the problems in my life, the majority of my failures have all been my fault. I have made some bad decisions in my life. I've made some bad decisions with my finances. I've made some bad decisions with the way that I've raised my children at times. Man, I've made some mistakes. Most of the problems in my life, I am responsible for. And I think that's just like really hard for people to admit that they've failed, that they've They've come up short that they've made mistakes because we live in a society, we live in a culture that just loves to always shift the blame. Man, we blame the government. We blame the economy. We blame our parents. We blame our spouses. We blame the stars. I mean, it's always someone else's fault. It's like everything is always attributed to something else. But God says most of our failures we have caused. I'm going to quickly give you three of the biggest reasons people fail because I think it's going to help you in this next year. So three reasons people fail. Number one is we don't plan ahead. We don't plan ahead. We don't always think things through. And we have a tendency to make decisions at times without thinking of the consequences. Proverbs 27, verses 12 through 14. A sensible man watches for problems and prepares to meet them, but the fool never looks ahead and suffers the consequences. You see, sometimes, man, something seems so great at the spur of the moment, only to realize later what a huge mistake it was. Maybe that house that's come to find out you really can't afford or that car you just had to have, and now it's putting you in a bind every month trying to make that payment. You see, I see this with relationships all the time. People are willing to like overlook these huge flaws in someone's character, hoping maybe that that person's going to change later on. Hey, if someone's not treating you good when you're dating, they're not going to treat you good when you're married. If someone won't get a job when they're dating, they're probably not going to be much of a worker later on. It's kind of the way it is. And you know what? I've never understood. I've never understood the people that have affairs and they leave their spouse and then they're surprised when this new relationship doesn't work out. 
If someone will cheat with you, they will cheat on you. You see, there's consequences to every action. And a lot of times, for whatever reason, we end up saying, Ah, I didn't plan on that. I didn't see that coming. We often fail to plan ahead. Another reason people fail. Number two, we don't listen to others. We don't listen to others. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You need to get all the advice you can, but you need to get good advice. Not your buddy Joe, who closes the bar down every night. Not your co-worker who's cheating on her husband. You need advice from Christ-centered friends or people that have your best interests at heart. But make sure you listen and make sure you understand what they're saying. There was a young man who called his mama and he excitedly announced he had just met the woman of his dreams. Mama was pleased and said, well, you need to do something special. Why don't you send her flowers? Invite her to your apartment for a home-cooked meal. Well, the day after the big date, his mother called to see how things had gone. He said, Mom, the evening was a complete disaster. It was horrible. Well, why, his mother asked. Didn't she come over? Well, yes, he said. She came over, but she refused to cook. <laughs> he may have misunderstood Mama's advice. But seriously, if you don't listen to the advice of others, you are setting yourself up for failure, plain and simple, because God uses other people to help us make important decisions. God uses other people's experiences to help us avoid pitfalls in our own lives. I'm telling you, nobody, nobody is above good advice. The person who thinks they're too big for their britches will eventually be exposed in the end. Think about that one. So we fail to plan and we fail to listen to others. Another reason we often fail, number three, is we give up too soon. We give up too soon. Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? See, the problem is, often during trying times, we stop trying. See, very few things in life do we succeed the first time. It doesn't mean we should quit. It doesn't mean we should give up. Often, success is right around the corner. You know, George Washington lost two-thirds of every battle he fought in. Napoleon, before conquering Europe, graduated next to last in his class. Abraham Lincoln lost almost every election he ran for. Michael Jordan missed as many shots as he made, and Babe Ruth struck out nearly twice as often as he hit a home run. There's some world-class failures right there. Man, the truth is we all fail at times. 
Sometimes you give something your best shot. You do, but you still come up short. Sometimes you study hard for that big test, but you still fail. Sometimes you do your job well and you still lose it. Man, it happens. It happens, but it's always too soon to quit. You're never a failure until you quit trying. You got to stop making excuses and get on with life. I've discovered the people who are very good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. They spend all their energy thinking up reasons why they can't do what they're supposed to be doing. So the S in start stands for stop making excuses. Let's get on with the acrostic. The T stands for take stock. Take stock. Now the Merriam-Webster definition of take stock is this. To carefully think about something in order to make a decision about what to do next. You can't get where you're wanting to go without knowing where you are. Think about it. When you want to go somewhere, you pull out your phone, you find your map app, you push the mic button and you, and you say whatever your desired destination is. And then your phone uses your current location to calculate how to get there and how long it'll take. I mean, we're pretty spoiled. Anyone remember MapQuest? We had to print out directions and really pay attention, staring at the odometer so you don't miss your exit. You young people never know the anguish we went through. It was hard. Before MapQuest, we used a Rand McNally. Anybody know what a Rand McNally is? Yeah, an atlas, a road map. To get where you wanted to go, you mapped it out. You found where you were, you mapped your path out. Another way is the navigation method my wife uses, and that's me. She'll call me and say, how do I get to Meyer and Anderson? Um, just take 67 to 69, get off at 9, go east, Meyer is on the north side of the road. Um, but a train stopped, so I turned to avoid it. Well, where are you at now? Back road. Is there like a sign? Maybe you can tell me what county road you're on, what direction you're going. Well, there's a farm with a big red barn. See, my point is, whatever changes we long to make in this new year, whatever goals we have set, whatever uh, resolutions we have made, whatever it is we want to do or go or be, we have to take stock of where we are. We need to carefully think about our situation. We need to evaluate our circumstances. We need to learn from our experiences. Galatians chapter 3 verse 4 says, You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. You see, God uses different experiences in our lives to mold us and to shape us. He uses personal experiences. He uses educational experience. Like this, He uses spiritual 
experiences, but most importantly, he uses painful experiences to shape us. I'm not saying he causes them. I'm saying he uses them because God never wastes a hurt. Man, sometimes something we have done is so painful, you know you never want to go back there again. You just learned. You just gained experience. You took stock of your situation. And you see, I think one of the reasons that we struggle so much to get where we want to go is that we fail to take stock of where we are and what got us to this point. Not everything you've heard or saw or experienced is true. Man, you may still be impacted by what someone said to you or what someone did to you. Because somebody said something doesn't make it true. Because somebody did something, it doesn't make it right. You got to take stock of your experiences. You hold it up to the Word of God. You say, God, what do you say is true? God, what do you say is right? The A in start is act in faith. Act in faith. The Bible says the key to changing anything is faith. If you want to change anything in your life, you have to have some faith. Jesus says in Matthew 9, verse 29, according to your faith, let it be done to you. A very simple statement, but very powerful, meaning you get out of life what you expect. Now, here's the key. I think it's a lot easier to believe that something is possible if I feel like God is calling me to do it. 16 years ago, when I first started coming to this church, I was a smoker. And I remember going to Pastor Chris one time to inquire whether or not smoking was a sin. And I asked him if cigarettes would send me to hell. And I'll never forget, he said, no, but they'll make you smell like you've been there. (laughs) But then God convicted my heart with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, which says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's a lot easier to break a habit if you feel like God is calling you to do it. It's a lot easier to lose weight, to make healthy choices if you're doing it to honor God. It's a lot easier to get your finances in order when it's going to free you up to impact the kingdom of God in a larger way. It's easier to make changes. It's easier to stick with those changes when God is the reason for those changes. Act in faith. The R in start is refocus. Refocus. 
To change your life, you must change your thoughts. I taught about this last month. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. You need to change the way you think to change the way you act. Now, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Happy are those who are always meditating on God's word. They are like trees along a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Man, I love these verses. Because in it are two things that we're all searching for. Happiness and success. We all want to be happy. And we all long to be successful. And it says the more you meditate on God's word, the happier and more successful you will be. And why is that? Because when you fill your heart with God's word, it begins to change your heart. As you fill your mind with God's word, it begins to change the way you think. You stop seeing yourself as you think that other people see you or maybe that you see yourself and you begin to see yourself as God sees you. And that's the only view that matters. See, once you start thinking the way God wants you to think, then you start doing the things that God wants you to do. And now you can concentrate on starting over or starting again or starting differently. Whatever changes that you feel like that... God is calling you to make. There is a purpose now. And you know what? It's not your purpose. It's God's purpose. That's how you refocus. Now we come to the last letter. The T is for trust. The T is for trust. Trust God to help you succeed Depend on Him. See, I think this is why so many New Year's resolutions, they bomb out and they fizzle within the first couple months. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. See, the secret to change is not trying, it's trusting. Trusting. That if you stick to the decisions that you feel like God is leading you, calling you to make, that God will see you through it. That God will get you through it. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, in 444 B.C. Basically, Nehemiah was a wine taster, which sounds like a pretty cool job. Until you realize he had to taste the wine before giving it to, king, to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. It's like being a car starter for John Gotti, right? Not all it's cut out to be. Now, Nehemiah was a Jewish man, so he grew up hearing about the once great city of Jerusalem, a city that just a hundred years earlier had been destroyed when the Babylonians conquered Israel. 
That was when King Nebuchadnezzar, if you heard of him, he took captive some of the other Bible characters that you may be familiar with. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Some of you have heard these names. They are great Bible stories. So anyways, a hundred years later, Nehemiah hears how terrible things are in Jerusalem. How this once great city of God was in great trouble and disgrace. Its walls were broken down. Its gates were burnt to the ground. And he feels like what we've been talking about. He feels God putting it on his heart. He feels God calling him to do something. So after time spent in prayer, which is recorded in Nehemiah chapter 1, he goes to the king and he asks for some time off to go to Jerusalem and to help his people. And the king grants his wish. He gives him access to whatever he needs to accomplish this task. So Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem. Now you have to understand that the wall around Jerusalem had been torn down for quite some time. No one even living there had ever lived there when the walls weren't torn down or the gates weren't burnt to the ground. We're talking a hundred years. It's now wide open to anyone that wanted to come and anyone that wanted to go. The surrounding regions were led by warlords and they would steal from the city. There was no national pride. There was no sense that God was even with them anymore. They had forgotten about their great history. And then Nehemiah shows up. And Nehemiah takes a look around and he makes a decision that regardless of anything else, he has to get this wall built. The most important thing he can do is rebuild the wall around this city. It's going to give people protection. It's going to give people a sense of national pride. So they begin to rebuild the wall. It is a huge task. This takes everybody. Now, as they begin to make progress on the wall, there's people from the surrounding regions that really weren't all that happy about what was taking place because they were losing their freedom to pillage to take whatever they wanted. And they were starting to feel threatened by what could happen, what could become of this people if this wall was eventually finished. Now the leader of the opposition was a guy named Sanballat. And Sanballat had a lot of influence in that region. And he decided, I have to stop the rebuilding of this wall. So he sends spies to the city and they like start all these little rumors and they infiltrate. They try to discourage the people. That didn't work. So he sends armed forces in to attack the people. Nehemiah had to actually pull people off the wall. He had to arm them and have people standing watch. So Sanballat's people, man, they were causing lots of problems. But you know what? No matter what happened, the wall kept getting higher and higher and higher. Finally, it got to the point where the wall was almost finished and they were now preparing to rebuild the gates and Sanballat realized, I need a different strategy. So he decided to try to distract Nehemiah and get him outside the city and just kill him. 
He sends a letter to Nehemiah that basically said, hey, let's get together. Let's meet and discuss things at your convenience. But Nehemiah knew they were trying to harm him. He knew the sole purpose of that letter was to get him to stop what he had started. So here's the huge thing that I want you to take away from this story. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, he sends messengers back to Sanballat and his people, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Basically, I will not stop what I'm doing to meet with you. This is too important. What God has called me to do needs my attention. You tell Sanballat, I'm doing a great work right here, and I cannot come down. Four times they sent the same message, and four times he sent back the same response. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So here's what is significant about this to you and I. If Nehemiah would have came down from the wall, if he would have met with Sanballat and his friends, they would have taken his life. They would have destroyed him. Well, there's things in your lives that if you don't focus your attention on, they have the ability to destroy you. Destroy your finances. Destroy your health. Destroy your marriage. Destroy your family. Destroy your relationship with God. You see, when we make decisions to do something, like what we've talked about, that God's, when we make decisions to do something that God's calling us to do, whatever changes that we feel like that God is putting on our heart, is calling us to make, we have to trust God and we have to make that our number one priority. It's too important. You know what? Everything else can wait. Man, there is too much that depends on this. Like Nehemiah, we have to say, I'm doing a great thing. I will not come down. I will not stop what I'm doing. It doesn't matter how many people try to pull you down. It doesn't matter how many people are going to tell you that what you're doing is a waste of time. It's not going to work. You're not going to be able to do that. I'm doing a great thing and I will not come down. Man, this is too important. This is too important for my body, which is a temple of God. This is too important to my kids. This is too important for the example that I'm trying to set by honoring my God. I'm doing a great thing and I will not come down. No matter how many temptations Satan throws at you, no matter how many obstacles he puts in your path to try to make you quit, to try to make you give up. Listen, when you make decisions that honor God, there's going to be opposition. Plan on it. Plan on it. If you're not 
crossing paths with Satan, then you're flowing in the same direction. There's no reason for him to fight you if you're doing what he wants. The battle comes when you're trying to make a difference. The battle comes when you're making changes. Changes that if stuck with will make you happier, will make you healthier, will make you a better husband, will make you a better wife, will make you a better parent, will put you in a position to be used by the kingdom or to impact the kingdom of God, will be used to allow you to grow in a deeper way. You have to stay the course. Telling you amazing things happen when you don't give up. This new year will bring opposition. This new year will bring moments that will want to stop us in our tracks. We're going to doubt ourselves at times. We're going to question at times if we're capable of continuing when we get tired, when we start to question when we feel like we just want to give up. But man, let me tell you something. Where God is calling you to go and what God is calling you to do, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to change your life. So stop making excuses. Take stock. Act in faith. Refocus how you think. And trust God, this can be your year, and it all starts today. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Well, dear God, we, we're thankful, God. You are the God that makes all things new. And we stand before you now, God, asking for blessings upon this new year. God, give us the wisdom and the strength and the desire to get healthier, to be happier, to recognize things that you're calling us to do, areas that you wish for us to make changes in. God, give each one of us a hunger for your word in this next year. Help us to grow spiritually. Make time with you our greatest priority. God, we thank you for what you've done in this church. We look forward to what you will do for us and through us in this coming year. And if there's anyone here today, God, or on the live stream that's never made the decision to accept Jesus, and you'd like to, Or maybe you want to just start the new year off by recommitting yourself to Christ. I invite you to repeat after me, dear God. I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. For the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died. On the cross for my sins. And rose from the dead. To bring me new life. I confess him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray.